Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Do it live! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Whoa, Rick, check this guy out! He's really, he's got a lot going on for him! Silence, Morty! Hey, everybody, it is Dr. David Broden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, although the naming rights are up. So if you want to uh, bid for the studio, get in contact with me. Of course, that is a joke, but if it uh, comes through, somebody offers me $100 million to rename the studio, I'll probably do it. So it is extremely hot and humid here in southern Wisconsin. Um, we are in the midst of what's going to be about a three-week stretch of very hot weather. And our guest, unfortunately, has that same weather where he's at, not too far away over in Michigan. So, hey, a few things about the Safety Doc podcast right off the bat. Make sure that you subscribe to this channel. We've been growing uh, in subscribers pretty substantially since January 1st. Hey, Juan. Hey, Bacon. Uh, please share with your friends uh, to get more um, more people who experience the show. We have 142 episodes. They're all in video. They're all in audio. The good audio, like the leveled, really nice audio you can listen to when you're you know working out, if you're doing a bike ride, just commuting, things like that, in a blog post. So there's about a 600-word blog post for every single show. If you go back and you're like, hey, what was that show about face validity? Or how about this show? I want to learn more about you know, situational awareness. And, and Joe was saying some things about member checks. You can go in to safetyphd.com and just pull up the blog posts. Make sure it's really well put together. A few partners for the show, the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California, Airing the show 2 p.m. PST daily, Los Angeles, California, the 405media.com. Also, Rooftop Life Raft. Yes, out of Canada, Rooftop Life Raft, uh, partner of the show. Um, you can see there's a coffee cup in the back. Maybe you can't. We'll see it later. But um, they sell evacuation systems in case you are in a flood. Uh, they do a lot of business, for example, the Netherlands. It's required to have a boat that you can launch from your house. Houston, Texas is moving in that direction in a lot of new developments, but check them out. We had a lot of flooding going on if that's an area you live in, rooftop life rafts. And finally, don't forget, it's one of the best $30 hard copy books. I think it's down to $29.10 now. I have no control over the price. Publisher controls everything. Um, but yeah, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, uh, 204 pages, released in August of 2019. Uh, you know, it's the most honest book. Let's face it about the school safety industry. That's changed a lot, but I'll tell you, it's a super relevant book right now because there's a lot in there about chaos. They interviewed Katie Pashan with uh, Cajun Navy Relief, you know, how she responded to hurricanes. I mean, she was in her 20s dispatching out of Cajun Navy Relief. Fred Varian talking about communication systems at the Super Bowl. It's wild stuff. It's a book that is going to help you make sense of what's happening in chaos. And today's show, Joe Dolio is a United States Marine Corps veteran with over 20 years in corporate security investigations as a certified fraud examiner and certified forensic interviewer. He is a CUNY synonym. Did I get anywhere close on that? Well, that's good. That's good. Kill synonym. Yeah. Good. Instructor and second degree black belt 
in Tang Sudu. So Joe is an expert in situational awareness and successfully negotiating chaotic environments. He operates the website tacticalwisdom.com. It's tactical hyphen wisdom. I have it up in the chat for the show. It'll also be in the description, but check it out. He's had it for about three months. I've read every post and I love it. It's, it's dialed in. It's, it's right there. Um, his One of his recent posts was about normalcy bias or just how we tend to um, think things are, are uh, not going to change, right? And things change around us and we, we don't tune into them or we don't tune into them fast enough to have an appropriate response. It's really well done. Every single post, looking forward to more from tacticalwisdom.com. So welcome to the show from the great state of Michigan, Joe. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Um, we're not getting any cooling uh, effect from those lakes between us. <laughs> it is uh, it is hot, and, it, and it's hot with an H A W T, not just an H O T. Yeah, hot. So yeah, it's it, it's it's crazy because I, I've been out pretty much every day, and I thought you know, well, you know, ninety, ninety two, it's it's fine. I can either do some biking, a little jogging, but today. Today I was out about halfway through, and I'm like, "Oh, this is starting to starting to cook me a little bit." So I slowed down and got home. Um, not used to this. I think it's just the thing we're not used to it. So, um, Joe, wh what else should we know about you that I didn't cover in the introduction? Ah, I don't know. I, I think that covers most things. Um, two kids, uh, they're doing fine till they got uh, got into the college system. And the college professors got a hold of them, so. A little bit of a little bit of indoctrination. We got to fight back, but uh, now the great kids—they're um, growing up and uh, moving out on their own. So it's a tough thing, right? Um, yeah. But you know what? I had a—I had an incident that just we were talking about with the heat, like you said with the biking. Uh, I got a flat tire on Friday, and okay. as I'm sitting here changing my tire in 98 degree weather, <laughs> I'm like, "Here I am. I write a, a, a write stories about awareness and that, and I have no water." I had nothing to cool me down as I'm changing a tire. So uh, lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when I go out, uh, when I go out biking now, for example, like I, I take much more water than I ever did in, in the past. Um, and even when I, when I kind of run and stuff like that, I'm always like, ah, oh, where am I close to, you know, like a gas station or something, if I have to go in and you know, grab something to cool me down. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, You've got good advice because if I go to the trunk of my car right now, I, I don't have water I, anywhere in my car. So, hey, situational awareness. You have so much experience in this, and, and it means different things to different people. So every time I do a show and I talk about situational awareness, people will contact me and say, um, can you also distinguish between what is gut instinct, um, what is like just tacit knowledge people have, what situational awareness? So I, I just want to get that up front because people will, will kind of um, – jump in and ask for clarifications on that, but tell me what it means to you. And then let's, let's dial things back to like the middle of March. The coronavirus is, is just starting to have this cascade effect across the country. We're finding out the NCAA basketball tournaments shut down. Uh, Disney, you know, shuts down. So, so how are you processing what is happening around you? Um, and I guess what were specific things you're like, I've got to start watching this specifically. Well, let me tell you, that was a very interesting time because that's where a lot of this, uh, the face validity thing first started to come up is during that time, there were so many rumors flying and I was amazed at how many people, if you looked at social media, 
how many people know a guy who knows a guy in Homeland Security, right? Right. I know a guy who knows a guy who's in Homeland Security, and they said, um, first of all, there's not that many guys in Homeland Security, and and two, um, not every Homeland Security agent knows everything that's going on. So that's where that first point came in of stop listening to rumors and get out and verify things yourself, right? Right. That uh, that was really the first first point where that came out. Um, for example, everyone was running around panic buying everything when yeah. we looked at the basics of it. There was no reason to um, because they were believing people on Facebook and on Twitter who were saying, you know, my, my cousin's friend knows a guy. Uh, that's not intelligence. That's information. And uh, that's where I first began doing the pushback with people. But what did you do to verify that information? Nothing. They said they're putting up, as an example here locally, said, oh, the National Guard has set up a checkpoint in Dearborn. Okay. I said, okay, did you drive down to Dearborn and check it out? Well, no, there's a National Guard checkpoint there. Why would I go there? Well, I'm pretty sure there probably isn't a National Guard checkpoint there. So um, there's a lot of danger in that, right? Uh, people were believing just the wildest things. So at that point, what I decided that the most important thing to do was listen to official channels, uh, but verify the information they were giving you. And um, that was the, the, the first thing, right? Don't listen to your cousins and your sister's cousin's right. boyfriend, ex-roommate. Get out and find out yourself. Make some phone calls. See what you can see. Um, that's where I began my project of going out and doing things. They were telling me the hospitals were overwhelmed. Yeah. Okay. So I drove around to the Detroit area hospitals. And you know what I saw? Nothing. I saw nothing. Um, I saw the COVID-19 tents outside right. uh, with no one in them. And uh, so at that point, I began to suspect that maybe things weren't uh, as the media was telling us. No, that's not possible, is it? <laughs> so how so, about how uh, people close to you? I had, I, you mentioned um, the, the roadblock. I had a, a, a close relative um, who called me and said the state border between Wisconsin and Illinois has been closed. And, um, and I said, I hadn't heard about it. I'm closer to the border than, than this relative is, but absolutely was telling me somebody told him this. It was a fact. It was only a matter of time before other borders would be closed. Um, so, and, and again, I'm like, uh, this isn't, this isn't authentic. I can't, I can't validate this. And I just, and also I'm, I'm processing logistics. I'm like, this likely is not going to happen. You're not going to have the capability right. to do this. And this would have made the, the news right away. Um, but did you have anybody really close to you kind of within your inner circle who started to waver a little bit and you were surprised or and Actually, how, did you say that? how did you help them kind of, um, you know, recalibrate, I guess. Well, what we did is, uh, there was a group of people, a group of like-minded people that had been organized beforehand, um, for in the event of emergencies, we would all communicate. It was a radio network, right? A bunch of, uh, uh, fellow folks in the security business and whatever. And, and the decision was we'll get together each night, have a conference call and talk about what we're hearing. And we were all getting these rumors and rumors and rumors. So um, three or four of us were kind of leading the group said, this, this is what we're going to do. If you're going to get this information, you need to do some validation. And we gave them a specific app where you could take a picture and it would download the date and time and the GPS coordinates of that awesome. photo. Awesome. So, Somebody tells you about a roadblock or a COVID testing site, go take a photo of it and send it to us. 
we didn't get very many photos and, and it slowed down the rumor mill a little bit. Um, so that's kind of what you have to do. And, and, and that's where um, some of this validity thing comes in is when people are shooting things at you, just say, well, what have you done to verify that? Have you, uh, have you done anything? Have you gone and taken a picture? Have you driven by there? Have you talked to anyone in that area? And you'll find that most of these people haven't. So then what you have is a rumor, not actual information. There's a big difference there. So you talked about this this app. Are, are you able to to share the app that you use? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Solocation. It's S-O-L-O-C-A. Hold on. Let me look it up on my phone here real quick. I don't want to give the wrong info. Uh, Solocator. S-O-L-O-C-A-T-O-R. Uh, and essentially, uh, it was first used by like search and rescue groups to take photos of things they found while looking for a missing person. Okay. Uh, and essentially... It points the direction you're taking a photo in. It gets a GPS location, all that stuff. And that's a great way to prove that something really existed at a particular point in time at a particular location. So um, that's how I took photos of the hospitals. That's how I took photos of uh, staging areas where people said things were going on. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Uh, that, yeah. Um, now, you can take a, a basic photo without GPS coordinates on it for free. But for like $3.95, you get the, the pack that will allow you to put actual GPS coordinates right on the photo. Wow. It's definitely worth it. Are you familiar with the uh, app What Three Words? No. Okay. So What Three Words um, is similar kind of to that. What it does is it, it geo, um, it names every three by three meter square in the world with uh, three names. And um, so, so this is what the United Nations has used for like uh, rescues in Haiti. Um, England is using it right now. I, I've had the uh, the chief marketing officer was on the show about a year ago, but um, starting to see this used more in fire and rescue in the United States, especially you know someone says, "Hey, there's a fire on my my farm in Montana," you know, and it's 1,200 acres. It's like. But if you say it's a bolt line metro, it's like right here. Or if, you know, someone has, you know, uh, fallen um, while hiking or doing something like that. So the, the two might play in together. But what three words is an app? Um, I'm seeing more in school safety and then more in um, just kind of rescue safety worldwide. But sounds sounds like that would possibly play in a little bit. I, I want to get back to this this app. So how did you learn about that app, um, the, the Solocator? Well, I've been uh, I've been in investigations for 25 years, so uh, taking evidence photos is is just something that we pay attention to. And um, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners is a is a group that I belong to, and they put out emails and they talk about different apps and tools that that you can use for investigations on, on a corporate level. That's where I learned about it. So, so, so I, I want to branch off of this, Joe. This is terrific uh, because one of the things I find kind of all the time, right? I found it with my my face, my member check network. We'll talk about that in a little bit because you you have insight into developing a member check network and vetting people. But as an expert witness, um, I'll go, go through depositions and things like that. And, and people will be interviewed. Um, you know, what? when were you trained on this? What, did, what happened on this date? And then you're interviewed numerous times over several months, things like that. And people don't remember uh, often you know, th their memories aren't good. Our memories just aren't, aren't that great. Um, they don't write things down. They don't timestamp things. They don't write 
Um, I was in, I was in a car accident, um, January 18th, 2019. And the first thing I did when I got home is I took out a legal pad and I wrote down everything, everything that I could mm -hmm. remember and, you know, got a hold of the insurance agent. But, um, my house, a tree fell on my house a month ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I went out and I was able to get like a photo and then, um, the next day to get damaged before the, the assessor got here because I, I got removed the tree and stuff like that. But I, I took a whiteboard, my daughter's whiteboard, my nine-year-old daughter, um, and I wrote the date and our address on it. And I put it at various points that I was taking pictures. And I printed these off and I had them for the assessor. And the assessor said, most people never do this. <laughs> like they, they don't know, they've taken things down. And it's like, what happened? Do you have a picture when the tree was still on the house and stuff like this? But um, what what you said, I think, is a is a terrific way to validate information, verify it, and it also it also removes this weird situation, right? Where I had this relative telling me some this is happening at the the border, and then if if I get too strong and I'm like, no, that's not happening, you're you're delusional or something like that. I'm fractioning that that relationship. Like I, I'm making that person either have to say, yeah, I'm embellishing in, on that, and I think, as you said, if you go to the, we have a strict protocol for verifying this, um, you know, use this app. We have to timestamp it. We need visual or, you know, what other, you know, audio, whatever it is. Um, then, yeah, it eliminates, it eliminates all of that stuff, which is, you know, either I think or uh, what people say, they recite what they hear off the news, you know, right? So many people, right. I think, uh, I think it's something like 30% I was, was doing some, some review some research of saying, you know, the most people, their instant response to you is 30% of them will, will just recite exactly what they heard off the news, whatever they remember from it. Um, so tell me, what were some things specifically you started to look for, you know, right around that March 15th when we were like NCAA shutting down, Disney shutting down? What I did was uh, I immediately got out uh, and started visiting grocery stores. Uh, okay. If there's ever going to be a problem in your area, the grocery store is going to be the biggest indicator of how people are feeling about it. Not necessarily about what's actually going on, but how people are feeling about it. So uh, the first thing I noticed is that there was, the grocery stores, despite the social uh, distancing guidelines, you couldn't get more people in them. Right. And right. people were buying up everything that was there, including things that you never see people buy just because they wanted to buy something. And it makes them feel better like they've done something. Um, so it got me to think about what the secondary and, and third level problems related to coronavirus were going to be. So what you had was at the time, it was the middle of the month, right? People had just gotten their second EAT payment of the month. They're not going to get another one for another 15 days, right? right? So they're at the grocery store buying tons and tons of fresh food. That food is going to go bad in the next 15 days, and they're not going to have money to get more. So that's a second order problem, right? So the first order problem is coronavirus, allegedly, right? right. The second order problem is people not having money to buy food. And then the third order problem of that is food running out in the grocery stores. Even so that even if they did have money, they couldn't buy food. Sure. So when you're thinking about it, you have danger from the coronavirus, right? Whether you whether you believe it or not, there was danger there from the coronavirus. You either could get it or not get it, whatever the case was. But a bigger danger to me was civil unrest due to lack of food. Yeah. So um, 
that's your bigger danger. That's actually more immediate to me uh, than the coronavirus because you can take steps to prevent the coronavirus. You can't take steps to prevent a civil disorder. Does that make sense? Yes. There's it nothing does. I can do to stop a riot from happening. There are things I can do to stop myself from getting a virus. So you have to look at not just what the main issue is that you're looking at, but what the possible second and third order effects are. So civil disorder due to no food. Then when they actually get money in the grocery store and there's still no, no food, even worse civil disorder. So that was my main concern early March, early to late March. Um, as it wore on and people realized that there was going to be food and they calmed down on the food buying, um, the secondary uh, issue became uh, people not being happy with being locked at home and um, um, domestic violence being the next problem. And by that, I mean family violence, sure. right? Sure. So you got people who are stuck at home who may or may not really like each other or have spent more time with each other than they might have in the last six months to a year. Um, so that's not necessarily a problem that impacts me, but it is a problem that impacts my community. Right. And right. if there is more law enforcement resources being deployed to civil uh, or not civil, um, but Good to point. domestic violence, calls, there are not police officers available to respond to other calls. Right. That's a great point. So I am putting on over here. All right. So, so I guess I guess the whole point that I'm trying to make about this is, is that we always focus on the first order problem coronavirus or yeah. or whatever the problem is, a hurricane or whatever, but people don't think about the second and third order problems. For example, in Hurricane Katrina, there were a lot of loss of life and property damage caused by second and third order things, civil disorder, because they couldn't get food. So the first order problem was the hurricane. Right. Second order problem was lack of food. Third order problem was civil disorder due to lack of food. That makes sense? Oh, right. So stop focusing so much on the first order problem and think about the second and third order effects of that problem. Uh, and you will find yourself far safer. So was there anything um, that that you started to, to do, which were steps ahead of other people and that your network you started to do because you're like, Oh, this is what's going to likely play out for a second order, a third order. Um, Absolutely. So, so the time when, when a situation like this happens is not the time to think about what you're going to do. You have to have already had a plan in place, right? My point was uh, I took a bunch of photos in those grocery stores and I shared them with, with all of my friends and, and, and family and said, if you're trying to get food now, you are too late, right? right. You, should have, you should have already had a supply. Now, I know that in Metro Detroit, the average house has about 48 hours worth of food in it. That's sad, but it's just the way life is here. It's the way that we live. Restaurants are so readily available that nobody keeps a lot of food at home. So when all of a sudden restaurants were closed, people had to rush out and get the food. So if you were trying to get food then, you were behind eight ball. You should already have some food. So I always keep on hand um, probably 90 days worth of canned food or dried food, right? Things okay. that don't require refrigeration uh, that are ready to go. So I already knew that food wasn't a problem. Uh, let's talk about the great toilet paper shortage of, sure. uh, of sure. um, that's another area where it was easily preventable. Any staple in life that you might need, all you have to do is buy one or two extra a month 
over the course of a year, and you'll have a huge supply available. It doesn't take investing a ton of money into it, right? Right. So if I decided, if I decided, hey, listen, I want 12 extra rolls of toilet paper. So I buy one on one month when I have extra money, and I have it. And by the end of the year, if I do that three or four times, I've got a couple months supply. So it was a completely avoidable problem. I, I don't know why people felt the coronavirus was going to cause them to need the toilet paper. I, I don't get it. But uh, again, it was easily preventable for you to uh, by simply buying one or two extra throughout the year. Um, so I guess my, my, my first point is if you wait until something happens, you're behind the eight ball. You right. should have already had supplies in place. And I'm not saying two, three years, like some people, but have things available. Um, a lot of folks who want to claim to be into preparedness or readiness or they call themselves preppers, whatever, they focus so much on guns and ammo that they, they miss out on what really will sustain their life. Okay. Skills, first aid, and yeah. food. Those are the things that you really, really need. You'll use all of those far more. They're going to use that gun and 20,000 rounds of ammo. Not saying I don't have such things, but I'm saying that that's not the uh, should not be your priority, right? Right. Your priority should be survival, uh, and then and then beyond that. So um, for me, as coronavirus began, I was all set as far as food. We, um, you know, frequently restaurants are are, are the mode of eating around here, but um, all it took was minor adjustments, and there was enough food available. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just had to make the right adjustments. So to me, it was making sure um, that I was paying attention to what was going on in the neighborhood. It does not take long. Um, we've seen since uh, the events after George Floyd, it does not take long for a civil disturbance to form. So having your feelers out in the community beforehand is the key. So for me, late March, early April was not so much going out and getting my own supplies. I already had them. But it was staying out in the field and getting a feel for how people were acting. And I'll tell you, the last two weeks of March, people were very, very panicked. But as April wore on, the newness had worn off, right? Yeah. People weren't yeah. worried and afraid. Um, they were more into just staying home and doing their thing. They were a lot more calm. So that made me lower my own level. So the biggest thing I did for the rest of the my circle of influence was teaching them the difference between rumor and fact, um, like we just talked about, get out and see for yourself um, and don't perpetuate that. Don't share a rumor just because uh, you heard it and saw somebody else share it. Find out what the facts are and then get on there and take a look at it. For example, um, most people look at a, a headline and, and, and you've noticed the media is writing headlines this way now. Most people only read the headline. They don't right. actually quote the story and read right. the fact. And you'll find that the facts of the story are totally contradict what's in the headline. So people will see that headline, they'll click it, and they'll share it. And that is how disinformation gets spread. You have to actually verify things yourself and ask yourself, does this make sense? Uh, so that's where I was in early April, teaching people, hey, calm down, take a deep breath, stop listening to the rumors, and get out and verify things. So... That's the big thing. But you talk yeah. about he headlines. Yeah, Joe, you're right on. I mean, if, if you know, this is this is Drudge Report. And uh, I, I had different, you know, websites that I would sample during coronavirus. But obviously, people who are kind of solely going to like, um, you know, Drudge Report, this is, this is always bad news, right? No matter what. It's always like shock, you know, horrible take on whatever is happening, you know. 
right here, violent crime surging in, you know, urban areas and, and things like that, the economic collapse. But here's a water park, you know, so uh, I guess it, it can't be that bad. But, um, oh, my goodness. So tell me, this is, I'm really fascinated about learning um, more about how you assembled your, um, I, I guess, influence network, or I refer to it as member chat network, which is just a term from from research. Um, a member check group will look at your research and basically tell you, yeah, you're on, you know, course with what you're trying to, you know, study here. Your 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 research is going to generate findings, which will answer your research question, or it won't. And these are these are very honest people. Like they're they're the kind of people to tell you like you're off, <laughs> or like no, you're really you're doing a good job on this, whatever. But um, I guess they're not there so much to evaluate your work, but they're to evaluate your process and then to evaluate you and just tell you, yeah, like you're you're off. I've known you for 15 years and you're very anxious right now, or this has gotten too close to you. You need to step back, and that's really hard for anybody to do, right? That's that's super tough to do in a in a normal circumstance to to have that kind of conversation with somebody. But um, but I think you know we have to welcome it. We have to level up. We have to be the people. And, and you're like that. And I, I'd like to think you know that I'm like that. I don't know if I was that way until I got older. <laughs> that I was that I was more like you know direct with people. Of you're giving me things that I believe are accurate or things that I believe aren't accurate. Or somebody coming back at me and saying, Dave, are you sure like that that's what's happening or can you give me more information about that? So I, I think this is crucial for everybody watching this, everybody out there of how do you vet this network? How do you train them? What do you teach them? As you said, it was like daily, you'd have check-ins, you're using an app, but how do you train people to be good member checks? And what do you do if you're like, I'm sorry, you just can't be one of my member checks. You just, you don't, you don't understand what it is to be a member check. You know, this isn't a group of everyone. This is very select. Here's how we train you. Here's what we report. Because uh, I think this is really complicated. And it, it is. So what we did is we, we had yeah. a network of people. Um, now, before this, before COVID-19 struck, we, we, we had a weekly network check-in on Sunday nights. And every Sunday night, there would be a topic. And we would talk about various things like, like either preparedness or what you should have in your car or or what is information versus rumor. And we tried to do that every week throughout the year. So everyone was trained to the same level. So when COVID-19 hit, we went to a nightly check-in, 8 p.m. Everyone had to check in and report on the same three things. And we start from there. You had to report on the status of utilities and services in your area, whether it's power, uh, law enforcement, things like that. Uh, the status of consumables, such as food, and what was available and what wasn't, and then on the general attitude in your area. Okay. So we tried, we tried to get everyone on the same page of looking for hard facts in these areas. So um, when it began, we were taking everyone at their word, and we're going, that's funny, I've got five guys in the same county. Four of them report it one way, and this guy reports it 10 times worse than what everybody else does. Yeah. Well, when you get in there and send him a private message, you say, hey, listen, Tell me a little bit about your validation and what you've been doing. Oh, well, nothing. I, I saw it on Twitter or I saw it on Facebook or uh, a guy told me this at the grocery store. Okay, well, then, you know, you give them some coaching the first time. If they don't do it, you just start, you know, weeding that report out. You don't use that data anymore. Um, we didn't publicly kick anybody out of that group. We just might have set their data aside 
as we compiled it at the end of the day to decide what was going on. Because um, really, if you've got five guys in one county and 80% of them are reporting one way, that's pretty much the way things are going to be. Right. right? Um, you, you'll have the one outlier. Try to vet their information. If you can't, you move on. The problem also comes in, I see a lot of different groups that people have there, especially when they use a public platform for their group rather than a private one. We were using a private platform, so it made it a little bit easier. But when you're using a public platform, you get infiltrators in there. You get people who actually don't feel the same way and are there to intentionally attempt to sabotage your efforts. Sure, sure. And um, so you really have to weed those out and kick them out in a public platform. But fortunately, we had a private one where somebody had to invite you in. So that actually made it uh, made it pretty good. And we had people from all over the country by the time we stopped doing it weekly. I think towards the end of April, we, we dropped it down from uh, from daily back to weekly uh, okay. because, you know, normal bias had set it and it became the new normal. Right. So, so that's how we did it. I mean, that's a that's amazing. So something that. You know, you, you said is sticking with me, and it was so four out of five. You know, people in a county are reporting things one way, and then one person wasn't. You know, it, it was different. But what you did is is you gave them some coaching, and then you you kept them in the group, but you didn't include their their reporting, their data, because it, it was an outlier. You, you couldn't verify it. But so tell me more about the decision to keep that person in the group. Was it to um, recognize, hey, they're they're trying to do the right thing? We want to. I want to have them have some purpose and agency as we go through this this time, um, because I, I think there's really a cool aspect that you did that um, with this this person. There's, and, there's two pieces to it. Yeah. It wasn't about me, right? The group was not about the three or four of us who were leading it. It was about everyone, right? So just because they're putting in bad input doesn't mean they don't deserve the output. Um, so if we could get information to them that they could use, that's fine. Um, I also will never turn down a source of information. Their information may be inaccurate, but one time their information might be accurate. Right. So um, as long as they're not intentionally supplying false information, there's no need to send away any potential source of information. Uh, over 25 years as a, uh, as a corporate investigations person, uh, information is my life, right? And I will, uh, I'll never turn down a source of info. Um, I learned this a long time ago from, from, from a guy he said, there's one person in every building that has keys to everything. It's right. not the CEO, it's the janitor. So who somebody is or what they produce is not as important as what information they might have access to. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Wow. I, I, um, One of my member checks uh, through this uh, was Brian Bowden. Brian's been on the show and we talked about it. Brian Bowden lives in the Bronx. And, um, he would, he would go out and, and do, you know, five minute videos of what was happening in, in his, his area of the Bronx. So things like, you know, going to the store, I mean, not a video where he's capturing people and stuff like that, but just here's the traffic, here's the store. And, and then he also would do, he, he would share, people are avoiding me, you know, much more than they would in the past. Obviously they, they want to keep the social distance. So if you're walking on one side of the road, they'll purposely go to the other side, um, but one thing he noted is he, he said um, the, the lawn crew was out with the leaf blowers and they were they're doing things. And that was kind of like a hallmark point uh, for him, because until that time, you know, this is maybe early April, everything was shut down. Everybody was inside. So this was like a sign of maybe things are easing. Also, you know, doesn't see anybody trying to 
tell them not to do it doesn't see law enforcement saying, hey, you know, um, you know, stop this. So, but it is, it's amazing. Um, Tell me how you look at trend data. So you have all this data coming in day after day. How, at what point did you start to look and say, ah, oh, we've got some trends showing up and what were those trends? Absolutely. So the trends were showing us, uh, what we did is we put it into a Google form, right? So we got to a point where they can report the information online and we just validated it on our nightly meetings, but we put it online and it showed general trends and all that. Google forms is a great way to do that. Um, what we saw was that the metro areas were obviously more impacted than the rural areas. That, that was to be expected. That kind of validated our preconceived notions. It also pointed out that that um, you could tell what sort of leadership was in each area, okay. for example. Uh, like, uh, ironically, uh, areas under under leadership of one party had a, had a more a more strict approach to things than, than other party areas were. And now it's not, it's not meant to be not meant to bash either side, but that, that tells you something as a normal citizen that maybe things might not be as they seem because it might be somewhat politically motivated. Right. Right. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. And, and, uh, I will frequently tell you that no side has a monopoly on truth and, and really, Neither side is, is any different from the other. Um, but but uh, if they're at direct odds with each other, things might be political and not factual. Is the only reason why I say that. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but... Um, it does, The yeah. political consideration should always be secondary, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, so the trends were showing uh, that, that the metro areas had a bigger problem with food distribution. But part of our network was people in food distribution in the rural areas where the food comes from. Okay. And what we learned was that it was a trickle-down effect, right? We were having a problem in the metro area because no one was showing up at work uh, at the food production facilities in the rural area. Gotcha. And then eventually the rural areas ran a bit low on food too. So um, it validated the fact that there really was indeed something going on that you needed to be concerned about. Yeah. Um, because there was a reason why people weren't showing up at work. And there was a reason why there was no food coming in. And does it matter to me at that point if the virus is a bigger danger or the food is the bigger danger? I still have to pay attention to it no matter what. Oh, right, right. And, and that's where everyone got lost in the weeds in this. There are people who will fight about whether or not the virus is real or whether or not your freedoms are being taken away. The point is, it doesn't really matter. You have to deal with the situation either way. Right. So. I yeah, I think it's something um, someone said to me once, you know, stop studying the problem and act. I mean, because, right, if the if the food supply is interrupted or, you know, you can start to see, hey, the harvest isn't going to be coming in because we don't have the workers. And then this is going to have an effect on what's going to be showing up on social. We have to we have to act. We have to for have foresight and, and you know, take measures. Uh, well, and what's interesting about it is, is I already talked about first and second or second and third degree uh, problems. We're now seeing a fourth degree problem across the retail specter, uh, sector. Uh, all of the merchandise that normally shows up in your stores every season that comes from China has not arrived. Right. So you're beginning to see stores like Walmart, uh, Macy's, bigger department stores that have clothes sourced from China, Vietnam, or the Philippines. You're starting to see now empty shelves, empty racks, things like that. So what sort of cascading problems is that now going to create? Granted, these are less vital things, 
But I know that there are some ladies who, if they can't get a new purse this season, there is going to be violence. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's interesting in stores. Uh, so I used to work at a, a grocery store when I was in high school, and there's a there's a term called facing, F-A-C-I-N-G. And facing means like if you if you have four cans of, of soup on an aisle, kind of spread them out at the end so it looks like there's stuff, you know, stock behind them. So um, basically that you don't have any holes on the shelves. That That's what facing is. And it really wasn't an issue, right, with places like Walmart and things like that because they would always have extra, they had to have so much stuff to be up above, you know, you just hope it wouldn't fall down and, and stuff like that. But pretty soon, you know, I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, things look like they're full, but they're only faced to like one item or two items deep. And then everything is open in back of that. And I started to do um, th this observation, which which you've talked about. There, there's something called uh, crowding in theory. And crowding in theory means um, after you've bought your, your scarcity items, your kind of panic items, like your food and, and stuff like that, then you start to go for your comfort items. And um, you can learn a lot by looking at that. I'm kind of studying it right now, but two things that started to pick up out, out through the roof in April were paint, interior paint, and then also cardboard puzzles were selling higher than than before with retailers. And, and to me, that started to convey, okay, people are really thinking we're going to be in for the long haul when, the, when they start purchasing things that normally don't spike at that time of year, never spiked at what they're spiking right now. So it is watching these little yeah, nuanced things of what's selling, and, and there's a psychology to the scarcity we've talked about right away with coronavirus things shut down. But then also this hole is crowd in. And once you get crowd in, people think they're going to be in for the long haul and it changes their purchasing stuff. And, and as you said, Joe, people are just going to buy things off the shelf to buy things, to have to exercise some sense of control. Well, I don't need this, well, but it's there and I'm going to buy it. Right. Well, let me give you another side to that. And, um, uh, again, not meant to sound political, but it kind of is, and it should point at something. It's an indicator of something big. So you mentioned the interior paints. But here in Michigan, we ran into a unique situation where uh, the, the the woman in charge, we're not going to name her, uh, her <laughs> name is not spoken in my house, uh, told everyone they couldn't buy interior paint. Now, I believe that the logic that was used was to say, hey, it's going to limit the number of people going to the store. But if you think about this, if I went to the store and I bought paint, I'm going to spend the next several days at home painting and right. not going somewhere else. So she made a list of things that you couldn't buy, such as paint, things for working in your yard, um, things for uh, gardening, anything like that. And I believe that her logic was it would keep people from, from going to the store unnecessarily. But all that it really did was irritate people further and raise the level of stress and potential for civil disorder. Uh, in my opinion, I'm not an expert, but my opinion, that was intentional. That was what she wanted to do. Um, and, and now we're seeing the results of that, right? Ca causing more stress among people. We are definitely seeing the results of that. And it's getting political change done. Weird, right? Um, so... You mentioned the crowding and thinking it makes people feel better. And when somebody removes that potential for you to do something that makes you feel better and calms you down, you have to ask yourself, why would somebody do that? Right. I'm not here to guess what her assumptions are, but I'm here to react to the reality that it caused. 
she would not have had protests at the Capitol. She would not have had um, the big traffic jam that was caused out there and all this drama at the Capitol had she not done that. If she had stuck to the same thing that everyone else was doing. Right. So, um, again, you have to react to the problem, not necessarily the motives, right? The problem was there. We had to deal with it. So That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, if you're buying paint, uh, you're going to spend time at home, you know, painting yeah. your your house. And in Wisconsin, we, we had, um, uh, our, our leader <laughs> closed the state parks, um, in, in the, the midst of, of the virus. And, you know, some of our parks are huge, right. Uh, you know, substantial yeah. with the trail systems, uh, you know, you can hike for, you know, a couple of days. I mean, and, and they were shut down and, uh, people around me, relatives, um, elderly people were saying, what in the world is going on? I mean, why would you shut down where you have open air? You know, you can naturally space, um, you have sunlight, all of these things, this great resource that we have. Um, and yeah, it, and then eventually it, it opened up again without much kind of, here's why we closed it. It just kind of opened and now it's open. Um, but it was a really weird, almost a uh, punitive type effect. Like if you went, I went there, I did some face validity. It was very clear. Do not cross here. You will be fined. We will take a picture of your license plate. We know who you are. And I'm like, this isn't even nice. <laughs> this is just a, a mean, uh, that you're injecting into people who are already panicked of what's happening. And now you're taking away something that would provide, um, you know, some activity. I mean, there's all this list of, of positives that would come from uh, being out in a large uh, state park instead of like, yeah, closing it off and, and threatening people. Yeah. If you're, if you're there, we'll know it and uh, you'll get your ticket in the mail or whatever consequence will happen. I think here when they, when she told folks they couldn't go to their own second home. Right. Uh, in Michigan, it's probably in Wisconsin. Everyone has a cabin, right? Yeah. And she can't go to cabin. Well, does it make sense to make me stay here where my neighbors are 15, 20 feet beside me, right? Or go up north, my next neighbor is three miles away. Uh, I would think it would be safer for me to go up north. My neighbor is three miles away. I'm less likely to infect anybody or get infected. Uh, but you and I don't get to make those decisions. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Hey, we have a question uh, from the chat. Our friend John Steele. Uh, is asking, what are the benefits of a viral pandemic? You know, that's that's the question. So, I, I, and John, if you want to, you know, type in and elaborate on that, but... Um, no, I, I know where he's going with that. What, uh, a viral pandemic, what are the benefits to... I, I think what you're saying, John, is what are the benefits to making people panic for one? Uh, let me ask you something. Do you have to wear a mask when you go to the grocery store? Yes. It's to engage in in control right, is to get people afraid so that they listen to everything you tell them to do. Did you ever think that in the United States, you would be told what direction you can walk up and down the aisles in a grocery store? Yeah. You didn't. That's Here great. we are. That's right. Here it, we are. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, um, you know, now, right, it's something I, I pay attention to and, and I'm like, oh, damn it, I went down the wrong way, but this person in front of me did. And, but yeah, the, the, that whole thing of, of just, yeah, what direction you're going um, up and down a grocery aisle. It's just absolutely, the, the things that we've, we, we've encountered in the last six months for changes. I mean, if we were to go back and, and show someone a commercial from today and people are wearing, you know, like 
uh, mask and things like that. It'd be like, wow, that's really creepy. And it's like, no, it's the way that it is. Um, I was interviewed uh, in, in December, uh, national TV, radio about uh, school safety, adding more school safety officers to schools, SROs. And um, and now, you know, the movement is defund the police. Six months later, like it, 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 yeah. it went that fast. So, you know, these, these rapid changes, um, tell me, uh, I guess, how do you, how do you stay, how do you stay calibrated during these, these rapid, what's your end game in your, your network? What is your, what, what are you looking for? <laughs> end game is survival with your sanity intact. Um, I have a very, very, uh, very old fashioned view of, uh, of the United States. I have, I believe wholeheartedly in the constitutional republic. I believe that people come before government and that country comes before party. Um, I've never voted in my life a straight party ticket. I've voted for the for the right people for the job, regardless of their regardless of their party. But I, I went with what their personal views were on the issues that impacted me. So my end state is how do we all get through this with as much of the framers intent still intact and how do we get people away from each other's throat now there's two different issues going on here right now there's the virus and there are the protests right right, right. and the two things seem to be totally and completely different but are they really what is the end result of both? The end result of both is societal change in a direction away from the intent of the original framers of the Constitution. I know that's not really the topic that we wanted to get on, but my point is you have to look at things as they are, not as you want them to be, right? That's this whole normalcy bias, right? Um, so it doesn't matter if it's because of a virus or if it's because of mass protests, what matters is what happens, right? And right. where we end up. Um, and the, they're using the virus to really get you to try to set that aside because anyone who challenges any of the, uh, any of the orthodoxy on masks is told, yeah, you just want to kill people. Right. Now, that's right. not true. I want to see some actual data. I want to see some facts. That doesn't mean I want to kill people. It means I want to know what the truth is. Um, but I, I guess I lost where I was going with this. But the whole point is, is that there's an end state that we're getting at that fear is being used to put us there. So. Right. Right. I, I mean, um, I, I'm, I, you can see it happening across institutions. Today, you know, what it, what was it? Harvard saying college uh, courses this fall will be online only. Nobody's coming back. So a lot of people will follow that. So we can start to see, like, you know, the institution of how we gain um, uh, education certifications. Was it Ivanka Trump came out and supported uh, a movement toward uh, skills, obtaining skills and, and certifications that would probably be above, you know, like just attending the college experience. And, and, and so, I mean, some of this, I'm, I'm like, to me, I guess I, it doesn't, um, I look at that and I'm like, it makes sense at some level. I mean, I attended, you know, my ample amount of college and a lot of it was unnecessary. 
as far as, you know, the courses and things like that. I remember in anthropology <laughs> in, in college, the instructor brought in these, these uh, toilet seat uh, defects from Kohler Company here in Wisconsin. And, he, and we all had to chip out flints um, to our hands would be all bloody and stuff. I'm like, I'm never going to use this. And it's just pointless, dangerous. But um, so, yeah, we, we see that. We see, you know, working from home. Um, and then I think just, yeah, people wanting to be told, right? There's so mm -hmm. many people I interact with um, who just want to be told, what do I do? Or they, they don't want to accept any responsibility. They want someone else to make a decision. So things can passively be done. I had um, Morgan Bayless on the show, oh, maybe like six, seven months ago. He's a school safety expert out in California. And, and he, he said, Dave, I'll go in and I'll ask teachers independently. I'll ask them, what, what's the first thing you do if you discovered a fire um, during the school day? Well, you know, you're in your classroom, in a hallway, whatever. What was the first thing? And the answer um, the vast majority said I would find uh, an administrator, right? I'd find a principal. It wasn't, I would grab a fire extinguisher. I would pull the alarm. I would do some assessment. It was, I would find somebody to make a decision, which I should be able to make that decision, right? It doesn't make any sense to, to default that. Um, but we are in this, this really weird place where the fact that things have moved so much in six months is, you know, people want to be told, um, and, I, I think maybe that that's part of it. And I don't, why, I guess, why do you think things have moved so far in six months between coronavirus, um, you know, civil unrest, the things that are happening, academia, the way people are working, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the lockdowns, wearing masks, um, you know, things like this. I, I can't, re I'm 40. I've never seen anything like this in six months. Yeah, I haven't either. So really the best thing that you could do is understand a few basic truths. Number one, um, as you're looking at all these videos that are inundating everywhere, is that no one is going to come and help. Um, there's been a video out there a little bit of a, or audio, not video, audio of a woman calling 911 from her car. She's trapped in the middle of a protest, can't get out. Uh, and that's where we talk about my, my area study and my situational awareness things are. Um, she found herself trapped in the middle of this crowd and she called 911. And 911 told her that there was nothing they could do and that perhaps she should call city council. This is the middle of the night. She's surrounded and there are people being on her car and they're telling her there's nothing she should do. She should call city council. Wow. So, so let me uh, let me let me go the roundabout way to this. The person who's most responsible for your safety and your security is who? It's you, right? It's always it's you. You. right. You are responsible for your safety. Um, you're seeing all these videos of homeowners uh, getting their houses surrounded, or being in a crowd and getting surrounded by a car or whatever. So you have to understand you are your first responder. So with that in mind, what are some steps you should take to get ready? One is do what's called an area study. Find out what's around you. Find out what the potential conflict points are in your neighborhood. Find out areas that you would want to avoid. And I'll get into that in just a second. Sure. But after doing an area study, start paying attention to what is going on around you. Simple Google searches every morning or, or DuckDuckGo searches, whichever, whichever, whichever uh, search engine you choose to use, uh, five-minute search can save you a lot of trouble in your day. 
by looking to see what's going on around you. And most importantly is get and stock a first aid kit. Um, we're seeing all kinds of protests where ambulances are trapped on the wrong side of a crowd in the road. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a first aid kit. You can bleed to death before they get to you. So um, those are really the biggest things I would do. So what's an area study? An area study is finding out the potential areas in your neighborhood where there could be a problem. So get out a map and by map, I mean paper map, not, not, a, not a GPS on your phone or anything. Um, take a look at where, chart out where grocery stores are, pharmacies, liquor stores, police, fire stations, hospitals. So those are the six really main areas. Now, in everyday life, those are places we want to go to and we want to know where they are, right? right. If you're having a problem, you can go to a fire station and they can help you. The police station can help you. You need food, you go to the grocery store. But in times of civil disorder, those are places to avoid at all costs. So if my commute normally takes me past the police station on the way home, if I know that we're in a heightened state of, of protests against the police, do I want to drive by the police station twice a day? Probably not. In the event that a civil disorder is ongoing, there are going to be people going to the hospital. You don't want to be near the hospital. In the event, let's just say the corona situation had gone the other way and the grocery stores had to close and no one could get any food, right? The, right. You're going to see rioters and protesters at the grocery store trying to get food. Right. You won't be anywhere but there. So do this area study and see where potential safe havens are in normal times and avoid areas would be in a time of stress, right? So have right. that drawn out. The next area I said was practice situational awareness, which is do a Google search in the morning that just types in, uh, you go assemble the Facebook events and look for protests near you, right? Or just put any events near me today. And it might not even be a protest. It might be a parade that goes down somewhere where you're at or sure. sort of a gathering. So if you know to avoid that, you won't find yourself in that situation where you were driving and you got caught in the middle of a crowd. Um Make no mistake, these crowds do not care which side you support. If you're driving in a car, they'll pull you out of that car. They, they really don't care. Um, so pay attention to what's going on around you. In my daily travels, for example, if I go to a gas station or a convenience store, I look through the door before I walk in. I step in, take a quick look around, and I note where the exits are. It takes, it takes maybe 15 seconds, and it can save my life. It can also let me know if there are potentially bad actors in the building or in the event of a fire, I know a different way out. Um, small steps like that can make your day and your week much safer for you. You are your own first responder. Um, the Aurora, Colorado um, movie theater shooting. Yes. Yep. The shooter stood, I mentioned this before. Uh, the shooter stood at the entrance. Everyone went in and that's why he was able to shoot everyone because when they started to panic and run, which way did they go? They went the way they came in. Same way. And, yep. and, and they went right past a bunch of emergency exits on their way to where the bad guy was standing. So take a minute, find emergency exits and understand and say to yourself, if there is an emergency, I'm going out that door. Um, it, it can make all the difference in the world. You, you well, mentioned the movie theaters. Bull rush to be quiet. <laughs> bull rush. 
He's been making making a new razor blade for me because the one I have isn't getting it done. It's not one that he's hey, made. I've got a bull right. razor blade. I will let you know. You're going to be very very happy. Deals. Okay, that's cool stuff. What he posts. Uh, is, is it's a craft, man. Yeah, bake or uh, bull rush would be a great a great neighbor. It's kind of funny. I, he was sharing on one of the shows that uh, there's some neighborhood kind of like Facebook equivalent, and he's like, yeah, my my neighbors really don't probably <laughs> have the resources and, and talents and dedication to, to kind of get us through something, you know? So um, you mentioned Joe, the movie theater. And I wrote about that in, in uh, school of airs that, um, it, you know, hundred, hundred years ago, movie theater fires, a lot of people would be found actually dead in the lobby. And the reason was they would just, again, the, the way that they came into the theater would be the way that they would go out if there was a fire. Um, and it is this thinking where we do t we do tend to retrace our steps instead of actually taking inventory for a second and saying, yeah, what do I have around me? What's the shortest route to to right. safety? Um, so can you tell us, uh, you wrote about a blog post. It's just a fascinating story. I, I love it every time you tell it. Um, there was a protest happening um, in Michigan, and you uh, were there as an observer um, of this. I, 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 so if you can talk about that process, um, and because I, I, I think there's, there's, I learned a lot from that. Um, you talked about, you know, bringing a change of clothes, also some things. I mean, we're not telling people to go out there and infiltrate protests, right. but I think these type of things, anybody could come out of a work or, or it's shopping and all of a sudden a parking lot, there's, there's something going on in their vehicles there right. or, or whatever. And just how to stay kind of, um, inconspicuous in, in some so, things like that. And, and what do you look for and things like that? So, so tell, tell yeah. us a story. I love this story. Let me tell you how it came about. First of all, first was the fixed validity thing, right? People are saying that all these protests are this, these protests are that. Um, the best thing to do is to not listen to what other people tell you is to get out and find out yourself. So um, I decided to go and, and visit a few different protests throughout Michigan and get a feel for things. Now, um, They'll tell you that these are grassroots protests, and they're, and they're just organized locally by, by local people. However, uh, I've been to six of them now, and the same core people are at every single one of them. So you draw your own conclusions. Right. But uh, when you're going to something like this or when you're coming out of work and you find a protest around you, um, you have to blend in. Blending in is the most important thing. So if I'm coming out of work and I'm wearing a business suit and everybody else is in blue jeans and a hoodie, I'm going to stand out. Yeah, that's not a not a good idea. So what I do, I keep three different bags in my car. Uh, the first bag is an emergency bag; it just has like, first aid supplies and things like that. And uh, my other one is a clothing bag where I have a couple changes of clothing. One is all black, and that's there for for different reasons. Uh, the other one though is just a pair of jeans and a hoodie, and um, that's so that if um, something is going on civil disturbance wise, I could throw on a pair of jeans and a hoodie and vanish into any crowd. Yeah, um, it's probably the most common most common mode of dress in America, right? Uh, year round is hoodie and a pair of jeans. Uh, even in this heat, I saw people out in hoodies today. So uh, you could throw that on and blend in everywhere. So what I did is I decided to go to these um, to these protests and, and, and kind of gather information on what was going on, who was at them and what was going on. So I grabbed an old backpack, just a generic black backpack. Uh, I put on jeans and a hoodie. And I threw a different hoodie in the backpack and a different baseball cap and a different mask. 
so that if I was noticed, I could just swap out the hat and the mask and hoodie and be a totally different person. Sure. Um, so I got out and I found that uh, there's a lot of good information being shared and a lot of bad information being shared. But most importantly, um, I found that they have whoever organizes these. I don't. I don't know who it is. Has an armed and trained security team that is looking for people like me or or like anyone, uh, law enforcement wise, whatever, infiltrating the crowd. And they will come up to you and intimidate you with weapons, and attempt to get you to leave and follow you to your car. That's why I decided I had to have a change of clothing and and, and things like that. Um, Make no mistake, these people are not playing a game. They they honestly believe in their heart of hearts that they are leading a revolution. Right. So once you understand that, um, you need to know that violence is a very real possibility. Um, it's not a game. I'm not doing it to be a game. And you shouldn't either. If you come out of work and there's a protest going on, don't engage with these people. Change into something a little less conspicuous and get out of the area. Right. You don't. Right. You don't want to get engaged there. Uh, I also noticed that once you're among these crowds, they expect everyone to react exactly the same way as everyone else. So if everyone else is cheering and clapping, you should be cheering and clapping, or yeah. they're going to walk right up to you and ask you why not, right? Um, so you have to learn to, whether you agree with them or not, to pretend to agree with them just so that you're not singled out. Right. Um and I don't tell you this like we said before. I'm not telling you this so you can go out there and play super secret spy. I'm telling you this so that you can blend in and get away. It should something like happen where you are. Um, these protests can pop up anywhere at any time. Um, they organize them through messenger apps or things like Telegram. So it doesn't necessarily get out on Facebook or Twitter that there's going to be a protest somewhere. You may go into work one day, come out, and there's a protest in, in, in the area where you work, or you may be in a grocery store. Uh, I went to one the other day that they organized in the parking lot of a Kroger store. Okay. So let's just say you weren't paying any attention, and you went to Kroger's, and you come out, and all of a sudden there are 200 people going through the parking lot, and legitimately their security team was with no legal authorization whatsoever going through cars, looking in car windows, writing down license plate numbers while armed. Well, Imagine you just went to a grocery store and you had no idea what was going on. Yeah. You come out and there are armed men patrolling the parking lot. And the police were sitting there watching. And there's nothing they can do because it's perfectly legal to be there. Um, but whatever. So pay attention to what's going on around you. I found with a Google search, found out there's going to be that protest that day. That's why I went there. Um, have the ability to blend in and, and get away. A few days after the one near my house, I went to one in downtown Detroit. And this is where not believing the media hype gets you. The media hype will tell you that in this country, black and white people hate each other and they're on edge. Well, I get downtown to this Black Lives Matter protest. This one was actually organized by Detroiters and local people. They didn't let the other groups get involved. Sure. Three young black men approached me as soon as I got out of my car. And they come right up and form a circle around me. And the media would have you think that oh, they're probably about to rob him or beat him up. But they came right up and said, excuse me, sir, there are protesters coming this way. Can we help you get somewhere? So that destroys the whole narrative right there of hatred, right? right, right. These young men were concerned about me, wanted to make sure nothing happened to me. I told them I was fine, and, and I walked away a little bit just to make them feel better. So, so first of all, get out for yourself and see what's really going on in the neighborhoods. Don't believe the hype that the media tells you. 
So this protest was very different from the others I had seen. While there were Antifa and Revcom members there, they were not in charge. Uh, this local group had brought their own security who was kicking out the agitators trying to make it into something that it wasn't, right. which I thought was very heartening. Yeah. yeah, That was good to see. However, the Antifa people were still in the middle of the crowd. And what I didn't realize is that uh, in downtown Detroit, me being alone, I stood out. And they took my picture. So uh, as I look around, I see this guy's taking my picture. I decided I needed to do something about him taking my picture. Uh, I quickly went around a corner, pulled out my backpack, switched hats, switched masks, switched hoodie, put around the other side, and they're totally dumbfounded. They're still looking for me, and they can't find me. And uh, and this was probably silly on my part, but to test it, I went and stood right next to them. They had no idea. They're still whispering amongst each other, trying to figure out where I went. So it does work. Um, I wouldn't test it the way I did. I was just feeling a little uh, a little fired up that day, so um, whatever. The point is, the fact that I had an ability to make a rapid change enabled me to stay safe because by that point, I had known they would potentially get violent. Right. So um, having a spare change of clothes that you can swap into if somebody, you know, if, if let's just say you had came out of work, someone saw you and you went back in, you changed clothes, you're a little bit safer than you were if you came out in the same thing. Right. They might say, hey, why would that guy in a gray suit to come out? Right. Whatever it is, have the ability to change your profile quickly. Um, here, in, here in Metro Detroit, the protests every day somewhere, and they're not confining them to the city. They're going out intentionally into suburbs and appearing at the local Kroger store, or um, they walk straight down one of the main retail thoroughfares here and shut down for a whole day. Okay. Um, just be prepared, pay attention. Look online to see what these events are, um, and then uh, plan your day to avoid them, if you can. And any any thoughts on um, so where where I'm located, you know, which is I guess Metro, you know, Madison area. Uh, a few things happen that you know weren't anticipated. For example, uh, one of the the not the interstate, but kind of the ancillary route that goes around the city, uh, protesters marched onto that. It wasn't, it, it just kind of uh, went from the city onto that and shut down, you know, so literally you have, you know, a thousand plus cars, you know, that, that just can't move. Um, and I mean, the I-5 in Seattle uh, was was closed um, by protesters going on to, to the I-5. So if, if this is a question I get a lot, I don't have a great answer for it. I know you've had this question before. I just want to make sure it's part of the show, but if you're in your vehicle, and you know everything is is stopped around you because there's a protest that's happening, uh, you know, a hundred feet ahead of you. Uh, what did what advice um, do you have for people, or, or or just things that people should consider? Things that you've seen that have worked out positively for people. Things absolutely do not do this. Like whatever you do, don't do this. Don't you know? Hit the horn, slam your door, get out, walk up to the front. You know things that we've we've maybe seen. Yeah. yeah. Don't get out of the car. Uh, first of all, lock your doors. And, and two, even if you're going only a mile an hour, do not stop. Because okay. once you stop, they're able to get in front of you. Keep your vehicle in motion. Now, the police are not going to give you a ticket if you turn around on the freeway and go back to the exit and get off, if you can do it safely. Because that's what they're telling people to do, back up to the exit, right? Okay. So if I see protests in front of me and the cars are all stopped, I'm going to back up and go down the exit or I'm going to cross the median. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not be there. Um, I've seen what happens to these. I mean, if they're going to smash out the windows on a police car, what are they going to do to you? 
They're not armed. What are they right. going to do to you? Well, you might not be armed. They don't know that. But um, they're really enjoying this for some reason. It gets them a lot of airtime. Um, and every time somebody just plows through them, it makes the news. You don't want to be the person who plows through them. But if I can keep my vehicle in motion very slowly and just keep going, they're going to have to either get out of the way or get ran over. And that's not really my fault, is it? Um, I'm not advocating running people over, right? I am advocating don't stop. Yeah, and, and I see John Steele saying be prepared to abandon your vehicle. Absolutely. But only if it's safe to do so. Don't abandon your vehicle in the middle of the crowd. Your vehicle at that point is at least some cover. Right. Right. If if you're if you're stuck in a traffic jam and you see the crowd coming, John's absolutely right. Abandon the vehicle, get out of there. You can come back to the car later. Um, but if you are right in the middle of the crowd, I, I would say stay with the vehicle. Um, it's your best bet. There's really nothing you can do there. Um, I can't tell you what to do. I can't give you advice what to do. My advice is to turn your vehicle around and go the wrong way in traffic to get off the highway. That is safer than getting stuck in the middle of that crowd. Has it, has it been surprising to you, Joe, um, that nobody's talking about this? You know, nobody, I guess on the news or even your insurance company or, or um, nobody is, is talking about this. Um, I don't know why it's the call the cancel culture, right? Nobody wants to be seen as disputing the legitimacy and validity of these actions. I'll tell you right now, these actions are unlawful. They are invalid. And if you think about it from a logical perspective, it should be hurting their movement. Because if I'm just a guy driving home from work, what do I have to do with your problem with the police? I have nothing to do with it whatsoever. So how does inconveniencing me advance your cause? It doesn't. So what ends up happening is, like you said, nobody will talk about it because the media does not want to get branded as a racist for not supporting Black Lives Matter by saying you have to stop this. Your insurance company is not going to give you advice to turn around and go the other way. They'd rather pay the claim and be perceived as racist and lose business. Right. Right. Um, so that's what it's become. Everyone is afraid to speak out against these protests. Um, there's legitimate forms of protest. Blocking traffic is not one of them. Uh, burning down police stations is not one of them. But nobody will speak out against this. And it's an interesting societal thing that we've had where if you even if you refuse to speak out in support of it, they're canceling people. Uh, and they're saying, just by not saying this is legitimate, you're a racist. That's not true. I can disagree with you. Uh, it's just the way that it is. So um, your point, your point, they're not doing it because they're afraid. They do not want to be labeled as anti-Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm not anti-Black Lives Matter. I think Black Lives Matter. I think White Lives Matter. I think Police Lives Matter. I think everybody's life matters. Um but that being said, it's not a license to do whatever you want. Right. You know, I, I'm yeah. watching that and I'm thinking, you know, what if, what if there's an ambulance call that needs to come in or, you know, police because of, of you know, what a fire call or something like that. And, and now you you can't do that because you've just shut down, you know, the, this area. It, 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 I. You're right. I think we we cross into this public um, safety threshold 
or, um, you know, once we, once we start to see buildings, you know, set a fire and, and things like that, um, the, the cascade effect that that can not only have it in, in, um, you know, the moment of injuring people, gas mains, things like, like that buildings collapsing, you know, people injured, but, um, you know, this, this rampant economic destruction of, of areas and, you know, in, in Madison, you know, kind of close to where I'm at, um, there's the vibrant, it's called state street it's, runs from the capital to the university and the large number of the businesses were, were not only vandalized, but looted. Um, now they're boarded up and uh, we're hearing more and more in the news, you know, a number of these will never open again. You know, the, the, whatever, you know, the jeweler that had been there for 80 years, isn't going to open and, and the next person, next person. And um, yeah, it is, it, uh, we don't, we don't hear kind of that that street is going to go from being a very uh, robust part of, of the community, kind of the hallmark to probably being 20% occupied. <laughs> and they have these things right now. They're having these food courts, right? So they're saying, well, you know, with the businesses, um, you know, to, to try to spark things up on top of being, you know, damaged in, in these, these riots and being impacted by coronavirus, you can, you can go out in the street now. We'll shut down some streets. I'm thinking this is Wisconsin. Like that will last until October 1st and then it'll be cold and snowy. And then six months, this whole making an exception and, and out stuff. So these kind of weird solutions, which aren't solutions at all. It it is just kind of, I Mm. think to change the narrative and make people feel better about what's happening. I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is this isn't this is just delaying. Hey, I want to I want to ask you, Joe. Um, how about a dash cam? Should do do, do, okay. do you think there's value in, in having a having a dash cam? You know that maybe and they record both ways. And I've seen more of these show up in my feed. People are saying, "Hey, like I got a dash cam." Um, and actually, I was in an accident where if I would have had an, a dash cam, it would have been beneficial because it unfolded in front of me and nobody had a, a dash cam. So I'm kind of describing it, you know, to state patrol and stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that for value also now, again, if, if things are happening. Um, well, there's, there's two pieces to that. Um, dash cams prices have really come down. So you can get a decent quality dash cam, 50 or 100 bucks. So a dash cam is a great thing. Um, but I take this step further. I, I also have two body cams that I wear quite regularly, um, mainly because of my line of work. I mean, I'm dealing with, with people uh, who claim that during an interview, we said something we didn't say, or uh, we racially profiled them, and, and we want evidence that we did not, right? So right. you can buy a good quality body cam that records in 1080p with audio uh, for 50 to a hundred dollars very easily. Um, I have two of them. One, one records long-term and one only records for three hours. One will record for eight hours. Um, I alternate between them depending on what I'm doing and where I'm going. Clip right on. Like one will clip in my pocket or if I'm wearing a backpack, I clip it to the backpack strap because the camera's black. It blends right in. Um, so I recommend not only a dash cam, but I recommend everyone get a, a body cam. They're just they're so easy to get, and they're relatively inexpensive that there's really no excuse in this day and age not to have one because everyone else out there has their phone out and they're recording. Um, this situation in Auburn Hills, Michigan, where the woman and her husband go to um, Chipotle, and they're accosted by these two black women. It, it devolved in drawing a firearm. Um, I'm sure you guys all saw it. It's, it was all over the news for a couple of days. Um, 
what's funny is when it first came out, I said, you're only seeing the second half of the video and there's a reason for that, right? right. The, the alleged victims don't want you to see the first half. So then once they file a police report, obviously the first half of the video has to come out because it's now part of the public record. And sure enough, they initiated the contact, they harassed the people, followed them to their car, stopped them from leaving, beat on their car, whatever it was. So having a recording that disputes somebody else's half-truth recording can save you legally from all kinds of trouble. Right. So when somebody only presents half of the story, you can say, yeah, but here's the rest of the story. and I've got my own copy. Uh, boy, it, it can certainly go a long ways. $50, $100, it will, it will it'll save you millions down the road. So in your profession, I mean, so do you have to tell people that you're recording them if you have that on? It all depends on the state you're in. Some states are a one-party consent state, and some parties are a two-party consent state. Here in Michigan, it's a one-party consent state. I don't have to tell anybody I'm recording. Um, But if you think about it, um, that really only applies indoors. If you are outdoors in public, you have no expectation of privacy. Okay. Right. So if I'm at a public park and I'm at a protest, I don't have a right to privacy. Anyone can record me just like I can record all of them. So that's the first thing. Um, but it is like um, the, the, the consent thing that you're talking about applies only when um, when you're in a work environment in a closed office setting. You have to know what the laws are. So uh, in Michigan, because I represent whoever the business is that, that has me there. I'm all the consent I need. I don't have to tell somebody I'm recording them. So, so I, I love this. I love this, uh, Joe. I didn't. I didn't know for fifty or hundred bucks you could do something. I'm guessing it, oh, it, cap- it captures audio also. Yeah, audio. the one that I, that I use, um, I use two different ones. One is called FR Cam, and that's uh, that one just takes the, an SD card in it, uh, and it'll record uh, hundred and it says one hundred twenty eight gig card, so it'll record eight, eight nine hours, whatever I need. Um, and the other one is a Camstick 180p. I'm sorry, 1080p. Um, that one's my favorite. It's got higher quality video, but it uh, because it takes higher quality video, it has less length. So, okay, I'm going to just bring this up on Amazon for people that are are watching this. Um, so that's what you're talking about right there. Yeah, that one is that one is great. The mini gadgets, ten uh, camstick, ten eighty p. I love that thing. It, it'll clip right in the pocket, and the head rotates uh, ninety degrees, so you can point it forward, point it point it up, whatever you need. Uh, down on the bottom, it'll take a thirty-two gigabyte card, which records for about three hours. And then it just charges like USB. Is that how that one works? Yeah, USB. Okay, yep. and it's got about a three hour, four hour charge. Now that says one hundred and three dollars. I I didn't spend anywhere near it for mine. So, okay. Uh, if you shop around, you can find it at a good price, anywhere from fifty. Wow. So. Okay. So yeah, this one is a. Um, it's called a Mini Gadgets Cam Stick 1080p with rotating camera lens. Uh, the company is Mini Gadgets um, Inc. And Joe's saying he he picked his up for under a uh, hundred bucks. So. I, I like that idea. I mean, this is this is new to me. I haven't actually, I mean, it would have made so much sense even when I was doing um, 
my face validity stuff during coronavirus, right? To, to just have that with, I had a camcorder, so I have to like take the camcorder out, set it up. I could have done it with my phone, I guess, but, um, and, and it would have just been easier. And I think part of too, is to say what you're seeing, right? So say, um, this is, uh, I'm seeing these people or I've asked them to do, to do this, or if, or even tell people, Hey, I'm recording this, this conversation that we're having. Um, because then I, you know, maybe that works to your advantage a little bit. If people know that, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to press this any further because, um, or, or am I off on that or, 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 no, or you're, you're right. I usually have it sitting on the table where people can see it, uh, and, and that does eliminate that. But um, there are inevitably those who who go the other route. I, I had somebody once say, uh, um, in an unemployment hearing, not not in the court hearing, but later on unemployment, they still wanted to get paid for some reason. Uh, that we were banging on the desk and shouting, and all we had to do was send a file over to the administrative law judge, and he's like, yeah, "Well, hey, that that's total BS. You guys are fine," um, and they denied the unemployment claim. So. Um, it's a it's an important thing you should have. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to purchase that. Uh, you know, for my for myself. Um, I'm also looking because they also have ends that'll stick right in your pocket, and it has a camera on it. So, okay. Wow. This one yeah. flashes bright. Then I can't remember anything that I did for like a week. <laughs> wow. I, I see. This is Joe. This is great. I mean, I, these are things I, I wasn't thinking about. I want to make sure, of course, you know, with the audience, um, you know, with, you know, Juan, Bacon, Johnny, Red, um, Bullrush, uh, you know, to be as comprehensive as I can when I'm talking about just personal, you know, safety. And I never, I never thought about this, right? I, I hadn't thought about dash cams until, you know, I had this discussion with Joe. I mean, you know, some people are starting to mention, but I'm kind of thinking, oh my God, you know, the dash cam is really expensive. It's a hassle to put up. I'm like, not really. I mean, it's not much different than, you know, throwing a garment up on the, the windshield. Um, right. And then the fact, you know, that you can have a, a body cam. And, and it does seem today that if you do have some video evidence like that, I mean, people run with that. And it, it's almost like it doesn't matter what the investigation is. If you can provide the, um, the ev a video is very powerful. People want to see the video. And if you well, have the 10 people that are wanted for attacking the Andrew Jackson statue, when you look at the photos that they use on those wanted posters, obviously there were some folks in the crowd wearing body cameras that got those images. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, like like their face level, ground level images, those weren't taken from somebody's surveillance system three blocks away. That was somebody moving through the crowd wearing a body camera, getting that image. So um, obviously not the only person out there doing this. I know of old network and, and, and we share some information and, and we do provide it to law enforcement when we find a crime. But um, it, it's really just something that in this day and age, I really can't imagine not having one. So. Wow. I don't, yeah. And I don't, I don't have one. I mean, does anybody in the chat, anybody can post, I mean, if you had one or how long have you used one, you know, like red bull rush, you know, bacon, I would think with, with the work that, you know, you do uh, being out interacting with people all the time. Um, but I, I love it. I mean, this is something I'm going to incorporate going forward because I just hadn't, well, think about it. So if you're someone who carries a firearm for personal defense, what better evidence is there that you needed to fire in self-defense than your own video? Right. 
I rely on some business protecting you with their video. They may not release the video to you, right? Have your own video. Uh, I really, uh, if, if you are somebody who is a concealed carrier, who's going to carry a handgun for, for personal protection, I can imagine why you wouldn't have one. That makes really sense. Can't. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and Johnny five in the chat is, you know, uh, you know, tell him, you know, Juan, yeah, go ahead, you know, get a body camera. And it just, it seems like completely not nah, seems it is, it is logical advice. Um, so yeah. as we, as we get to the end of that, do you, do you suggest um, kind of narrating? I'm, I'm sure you've maybe had situations where you've had a body cam and maybe your surveillance in a retail area or some, or for some client, and and do you talk through what you're observing? Um, so then it is it becomes a record. Um, you know, like it, saying it, it, I've gone down this aisle, this person is ahead, they were over here first, now they're over here. I saw them in the vehicle, and it, it all depends on what I'm doing. If I'm moving through a crowd in general, I won't because the video will speak for itself. Uh, if I'm following somebody in the store, the video will speak for itself. However, sometimes I do want to take a note on there for myself not necessarily for evidence purposes, but for myself to remember later. If you're going to do that, though, pick up your phone and hold it to your ear right. so you don't look like you're talking to yourself. Um, right. That's important, right? Um, so so that's a good thing. Um, I, I generally don't narrate it, but I do talk a lot about creating witnesses. So let's say I'm wearing a body camera and somebody is getting in my face, okay? I know that this is going to record it, but I also want other people to hear the same things that are on my recording because then that, that gives me two different sources of the same information. Sure. So if I say, hey, back from me, loud enough that somebody else is going to turn their head. Somebody else heard it, and it's on video. I've got twice as many witnesses, and the video helps. So it's not necessarily narration, but you're creating additional witnesses as well. I like, again, I mean, it's, it's a, I, there's no flaw in, in that thinking, it, it's extremely informed. Um, and, and I, I go back and I'm, I'm stepping out the times that I could, I could benefit from that. And, and, uh, so I think, you know, one thing, yeah, dash cam, I do a lot of biking. I don't, um, have a camera on the bike and I, I really need to do that. Um, one, I mean, there's many reasons, right. Why, why that could happen. If something just happens, um, you know, to me, there there can be some evidence of, of what might have happened, or if there was some confrontation. Hopefully, there's there's not, but um, it's yeah. Somebody pulls in front of you, and, and you get in an accident. Um, there's people say, "Well, I'll just use my phone." It, you might not. You might need your hands for other things. Body cameras worn, and it's always going to record. And if I were to if I were to use my phone. Um, I mean, it wouldn't, it, it'd be difficult for me because I'd have to get it out. I mean, when I bike for the, the phone is put away, it's, it's in an interior case in case I do get in an accident where it's most likely to be preserved. So I, you know, I'd have to, to negotiate getting this, this phone out and do all of these things. Even if there was an accident that occurred, it would be very unlikely when I was, when I was in the phone also does not superimpose the date and time oh. right on the video. Which is, in, as you indicated, you know, Joe, that's so important to be able to do that. I've seen that in expert witness work where people get brought in and they're questioned about something, you know, again, whether it be training or what happened at this event. And the statement that they give three months out is is not usually aligned to what they initially had. If they can have if they can say, well, I have notes that I took during, you know, this event or I wrote this down. Um, that's the advice I give to people 
you know, right away, if something sentinel happened, sit down, of course, after you've been, you know, you're taking care of yourself and stuff like that, but sit down and hand write it out. Don't type it out, yeah. actually hand write it out. Cause then you, you have greater, uh, you know, memory capacity for things that you've, you've handwritten, put little notes, little drawings, little sketches, whatever, um, write it down. And then, yeah, if you want to go type it up later, but in, in, in timestamp, this happened at this time, this is who was there. You know, here's a little map to help me remember of like, this is, this actually happened and then put it, you know, in a folder that, you know, label of a folder and you, you have it because if you don't do it, it's going to be really hard to remember. And then again, it's, it's your word against somebody else's word. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a notebook fanatic. I have a notebook everywhere I go. I've got 10 or 12 of them going and I use write in the rain notebooks because the yes. paper you can write in the rain and it's got a background of graph paper. If I need to draw a diagram, I can draw a diagram. So that is, yeah. Um, yeah. The write in the rain, uh, paper. I remember that um, our football coach used to have that when I was in high school. Gary be right now on the sideline drinking downpour. Here's a play. But you'll never work. I didn't. <laughs> so Joe, any anything um you wanna you wanna touch on any, anything that you're seeing that you're like, I want people to be aware of of this because something it's you know come up on my radar. It's something my member checks are telling me. Yeah. Um any, anything like well, that? Yeah I got a couple things. Number one is Lose the normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is the tendency to think everything's going to be okay or everything's going to go back to the way it was if we just waited out. Um, it was going to be 14 days, and that was 112 days ago, and we're still not back to normal. Right. We're not going to go backwards. Okay. We're only going to, you, you can't deal with how you want things to be. You have to deal with things how they are. So lose the normalcy bias, which is a tendency to think things are going to be fine. Uh, understand that the world is different than it was at the beginning of 2020. Understand, too, that these protests are not going to stop. They're going to continue and they're going to get worse. Uh, what's interesting about that is the media is not showing you when they get worse tonight. They're only showing you the moderate stuff because they want you to think that it's peaceful protests. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but there's the video of the guy who's standing there saying there are mostly peaceful protests behind him. The Minneapolis precinct is burning to the ground. Right. Right. Uh, it's mostly peaceful. Um, they're not going to get better. Uh, you have to take responsibility for your own safety. So in doing that, how do you do it? Number one, build and maintain a first aid kit. You have to have a first aid kit. Um, I can't tell you uh, in life how many times I've used a first aid kit. Um, ironically, in, in my life, I come across traffic accidents a lot. I'm in the car a lot. And right. I've people having a first aid kit can help you, can help others. So that's an important thing. Everyone wants to spend all their money on guns and ammo and food. Buy a first aid kit. Spend some time and energy on that. Right. Um, so that's an important part. And develop a plan. You can't take action without a plan. And the time to develop a plan is not when the world is on fire around you. So develop a plan for what you're going to do if these things really get out of hand. Like, are you going to stick around in town or are you going to go somewhere else? What route are you going to take? So if you ask 10 people, what would they do if there was a massive riot in the town and they were coming and they say, well, I'm going to leave town. I'm going to go to my cousins or I'm going to go here. Yeah, how are you going to get there? The highway. They're blocking highways, right? right. And Sure, you know this too. What is the actual purpose of the interstate highway system? Is it for you to get places? Yeah, it was designed for military transport. 
But for military and law enforcement transport in an emergency. Right. That's why when you get on the highway, you see that sign that says, this is a limited access highway. What that means is they can block those exits anytime they want and allow only official traffic on them. So as you're making plans, understand, don't use the highway, right? Don't right. use the highway. Make plans that don't involve the highway. Um, do the area study. Find out the areas in your town that would be potential flashpoints and learn to avoid them. Next, be aware. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't have this normalcy bias of, okay, yeah, but that's happening in Atlanta and it's happening in Minneapolis, but it's not happening in my little suburb because it is, right? right. Um, I, last week I was on uh, on the show with Nick and uh, he, he mentioned during the show, oh, but that's not going to happen here. And then over the weekend, that militia came halfway out to where he lives. He yeah. was like, he sent me a message said, hey, man, you were right. I said, I know. Um, I, I'm telling you, these things can and will happen and they will continue. So understand that it can happen where you are and just have a plan to deal with it. So when they come to my neck of the woods, Bull, Bull nobody wants to come to your neck of the woods. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Bull says, tell people what they need in a first aid kit. Okay. You need a lot of things in a first aid kit. First of all, you need the basics of what, what we in the Marines called a boo-boo kit. You need Band-Aids. You need some sort of an antibiotic because right. it's not the cut that's going to kill you. It's the infection you're going to get from whatever else is around. You might not have heard this, but there's a virus going around. <laughs> so some antibiotic might help you. Sure. Um, you should have that. You should have lots and lots of gauze. Gauze is what stops bleeding, right? Um, five by nine pads are what I go with. Uh, it's the big gauze pad you can put on anything. It'll stop any kind of bleeding. So you need things for bleeding control. You need a CPR mask. You need gloves. Uh, and you need good old-fashioned duct tape. Uh, okay. Duct tape solve all kinds of problems, and it, it'll stick to things that are wet. So um, if that was all you were going to put in a first aid kit, you'd be better off than anyone else. Uh, my first aid kit, though, I've got, I've got Band-Aids of several different types. Mostly uh, one of the areas where I really overdo it is knuckle and fingertip bandages because yeah. they're the ones I need the most, right? So lots of Band-Aids, lots of gauze pads, especially the 5 by 9 pads. I also have in mind um, trauma bandages, which is what they're called. They're actually for a gunshot wound, right, major trauma. Okay. Um, have a couple of those in there. Chest seals are a good idea. Uh, if something pokes a hole in your chest, you're not going to be able to breathe or somebody else. Um, they're relatively inexpensive, and they're something you really should have. Um, I keep EMT shears in there. Um, you don't know if you're going to need to cut a seat belt off of somebody else or yourself. Right. Um, just some basic things like that that will get you through it. And a good triangular bandage, that's another big important thing. A triangular bandage can be used to bind up a wound. It can be used to make a sling. It can be used to carry somebody, uh, you know, part of somebody, if somebody else, if you have two of them, whatever. Um, just the basics to get you through a day. Um, the important thing, though, is uh, if you use anything from your first aid kit, replace it. Yeah. Uh, the tendency is, oh, I only use one band-aid. I only use one band-aid. But then after two weeks of only using one band-aid, you all of a sudden don't have band-aids when you need them. So if you get something, use it. Um, Bull Rush, I was just going to say uh, the, the, the the fish antibiotics. I have fish mocks. It's the same thing. Uh, the pill, literally, if you take it out, if you buy fish mocks, you take the pill out and you search it, it is the same as human. Um, wow. So it is the exact same thing. It's cheap. Don't need a prescription. Um 
I have quick clot as well as um, hemostat. They're both the same thing, really. Um, hemoclot, I mean, they're both really pretty much the same thing. They will stop bleeding. It's something you pour into the wound. Right. Uh, right. Put a cat tourniquet. You can have a cat tourniquet or a SWAT tourniquet. Either one is uh, equally effective. Uh, tourniquets are lifesavers. I see Bacon mentioned superglue. Superglue is good. Um, it can it can do a bandage on a small cut. Uh, it works for a stitch. So you can go through and list a million things for yeah. your first aid kit, but you really, really need one. Uh, I'm kind of a fanatic about it. I've got five or six of them. I've got them in my car. I've got them in my backpack. I've got a smaller version on my backpack. Um, you really can't have too much of it. And the time to get it is now when it's available. Right? You don't go looking for a first aid kit when uh, when the power goes out. Right. So you should have it ready. So that's important. Um, have a plan. Be aware. Have first aid supplies. You're going to use that more than you're going to use anything else. And with first aid supplies, you know, for a hundred bucks, you can outfit yourself really well. You know, with a first aid, yeah. and and you know, I've kind of assembled my own, uh, you know, kit. You know, picked up a lot of the items that, that you've you know just talked about. Um, and and one of the things too is, yeah, I, I had I, I didn't realize um, some of my stock had gotten old. So after, you know, a couple of years, yeah, I mean, the bandage is yellow and stuff like that to replace them. I remember, um, you know, as a school administrator, we go and we check the AEDs in the hallway and uh, <laughs> open them up in, in the, the AED pads that expired like six years ago. It's like, we've got to replace these things. I mean, they're, they're no good anymore. And just keeping it, keeping it fresh. Hey, you, you talked about normalcy bias. And by the way, I'm going to add duct tape to my kit. So I love that. I use a gorilla tape. This stuff's awesome. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you talk about normalcy bias. So on September 11th, uh, 2001, right? The, the Twin Towers get hit. Amanda Ripley is, is a researcher. She's interviewing uh, survivors from the Twin Towers. People have come down. And she said, what was the behavior that you were observing, um, you know, up on whatever, the 80th floor when, when the plane hit? And um, a lot of people, you know, like three, 400 people were telling her, um, either that they were doing it or they were observing people who recognized the building had been hit by a, a plane, right? That some substantial event had happened. But their next action was that they went to their desk and they're like, I got to save my files. I've got to, and this is back in 2001 where it takes a little while and you got to, you know, the, yeah. and all of this and they're like, I got to save my work. And, you know, before I go down, because if there's a power, I mean, all of this stuff. And it was amazing the number of people who, felt they needed to complete these tasks before getting themselves to safety. And it, it was in, um, I forget which, which book I wrote about it in school. Bears. I cited her, her book, but Amanda Ripley is the author, but these are amazing stories, right? Of people who are stuck in normalcy bias and they're like, right. maybe it's not that bad. Or maybe the alarm is just like when they do the regular fire drills and we just kind of gather by the stairwell. So like in three minutes, it'll stop and it'd be a waste to go down anyway. And it's like, as you indicated, Joe, I, there's such an advantage to, for people if they can identify, I, okay, I am now in chaos. This is a chaotic event. Now I'm going to function in chaos. I'm not going back to whatever it was 30 seconds ago. That's gone. That's changed. And these 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 situations where people try to return to this normalcy or self-similarity, because we're kind of programmed like that. We expect today to be similar to yesterday and tomorrow will be similar to today. Right. And it's such an advantage, psychological advantage for anybody out there to be able to quickly say, I'm in, I'm in chaos. You know, like as those cars start to crash in front of me, like I'm, you know, four seconds away from entering chaos. So the, the people that linger and languish and try to return, even coronavirus, the people are like, 
<laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to get my tickets. I'm going to go to my Brewers home games. I'm going to go to the Packers games. And I'm like, you know, just accept that that's not where things are at right now. I mean, do the things of, of yeah, doing what you need to do, planting a garden, taking care of your physical health, emotional and things. And don't try to benchmark to all these external things, which are out of your well, control, right? Classic example of that is that woman who called 911 from inside that crowd where they had her vehicle thrown on the freeway. And she called 911 and she just could not believe that they weren't coming. Right. 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 So it, it should only take one time for you to be told that, hey, we're not coming. Hang up the phone and understand that you are now the first responder. You have to do something about it. Arguing with them on the phone is not going to get them to come. Right. Um, so take that as a lesson now and make your plans that don't involve waiting for someone to show up to save you. Uh, as I put on, on, on Twitter the other day, uh, there's no white knight riding over the horizon to come and change all this for us. We have to do it ourselves, right? Nobody else is going to come and help. Um, you have to be prepared to do all of it on your own. People after Hurricane Katrina learned that themselves very quickly. They operated on their own for up to two weeks before anyone got to them. Same thing with Hurricane Andrew. And I was actually at Hurricane Irene uh, when it hit on the East Coast. And uh, we were checking stores for the retailer I worked for at the time to uh, make sure no one looted them or, or had broken in and stolen anything. And uh, we, were, we were at one store and this old couple just walked up and pulled on the door and like, huh, I can't believe it's not open. I'm like, you not look around, you walk through three feet of water to get to that door and pull on the door handle. That was total normalcy bias. They were like, oh, we need water. Well, fortunately, we had water in our trunk and we gave them a case of water. But but the point is, they were just so used to, hey, I need water. I'm going to go down to the Dollar General or wherever it was and, and open it up. And it's just, you, you have to understand these things that you are going to be your own first responder. Even if the police wanted to help you, which in the current situation, I'm not sure of, uh, they can't get to everyone, right? There are bigger problems than whatever is going on for you that they have to deal with. You have to be ready to deal with it yourself. Yeah. At least yeah. And you brought in a great point, too. I mean, if there is some type of sentinel event that happens, I mean, there's there's only so many responders available for a period of time before they can inflow into that area. Um, so the, the best advice, um, again, is, yeah, be, plan to be your own first responder and plan, yeah, plan to uh, rec engage chaos. You know, don't be terrified. I mean, chaos simplifies options. Um, I've studied chaos um, pretty extensively. You know, Dr. Paul Rapp, head of military medicine, we've had discussions, I've written about it. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's a scenario he gives of, you know, there's, there's people downstream of a dam that's iffy, could collapse, right? And so they have these meetings. What should we do? What should we do? Should we evacuate people? Should we get to higher ground? Should we do this? Should we alert? And meanwhile, like, you know, they're, they're having these debates for three days and then the dam collapses and now the water is coming down and it's, it's binary. Like you either get out of there however you have to or you drown, you die or you stay alive. So those are your options that become simplified. And... You know, so it is, it is as again, people get this, get your validity network over on the right hand side. You know, we know some of these folks, you know, Bull Rush, uh, Mictivist, Red Crusader, you know, so we have different parts of the country too, you know, um, Texas, um, Ohio, New York, things like that. And, and get input from people that you can trust, people that are going to give you valid information 
uh, people who are not going to be lulled into the normalcy bias. Yeah, spend money on a first aid kit. I mean, my God, it's it's not that expensive to populate it with things. And uh, as you said, what if you crest a hill and there's an accident that just happened in front of you and you're the only one there and someone has been in an accident? Um, you know, you have the kit, then you can render some assistance. Um, so it's one of those things, like, oh, God, I wish I would have put this together. Um, and again, you know, we have to realize what, you know, what is happening around us on a micro scale and a bigger scale. I, I can't imagine that what the election is November 3rd. I can't imagine that November 4th is going to be a peaceful day. Anyway, whatever the outcome is, that is going to be a day where uh, I, I, I can't imagine society, what that will be like on that day. Um, That's a bad day, no matter which side wins. Um, the, the left claim that the right stole the election. The right's going to claim the left stole the election. So that, that's a good point. And, uh, and and it was an excellent segue by you there. Um, plan accordingly, right? Um, there's going to be unrest no matter what on November 4th. There, there is just absolutely no way to avoid that. So what can you do now or between now and then to be prepared? Um Taking from the example of the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, maybe go out and buy some toilet paper so you're not the last guy to have any. Uh, buy the extra supplies now so that you're prepared for that. Um, best thing you could do for that is buy some food, stay home, stay out of everybody's way, and and, and don't go anywhere until it all blows over or you know the direction it's going. Um, it's going to be a rough day no matter what, and and, and there are lots of theories about what will come of it and how it will how it will end. Um, but you and I don't need to decide that. So we can, what if that all day long, but what we can do is be prepared. Now I will tell you this, um, you mentioned the first aid kit and all that. I got my firearm skills and my first aid skills in the same place and at about the same time. And, uh, I've had a firearm my whole life. And I've had first aid kits my whole life. Guess which one I use more often. First aid kit. Yeah, I, I use it at least once for something. Um, so invest in that. Um, November 4th, yeah, it's going to be a bad day. So have a first aid kit handy, have everything you need food wise, and just don't engage in it, right? Do the best you can to not get out and engage in it. Yeah. So, I mean, even in scheduling appointments or, or things like that, it's like, you know, no, I'm not going to, I'm not doing it then, or, you know, I'm going to give some buffer, you know, buffer zone. Um, and it's again, it's amazing. You know, we're we're looking ahead to to things. So yeah, you can stock your you know your food supplies and, and things like that. You know, get them a little more robust and and just make sure you're not in, involved in any travel during that time. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, what if again, what if airports are uh, shut down? What if roads are shut down? Other things. I mean, because this this could get really disruptive. I mean, so just avoid it. I mean, that's that's your advice. It's been spot on. Um, it's best to identify what's happening around you and not introduce yourself to that situation if it's not necessary um, to just stay away, you know, stay away from it. John says, uh, take a sick day and go to the rural area. I already have a plan to be up north that week uh, if I'm not already up there because of whatever goes on down here. Right. Um, but seriously, that is already my plan to be uh, anywhere but in the metro Detroit area that day. Okay. Yeah, and we'll we'll see what the weather's yeah what the weather's like because at that time here in Wisconsin it starts to to chill quite a bit, which is 
you know, part of it too is, you know, right now it's so hot um, for people to be out at night and to be doing things, you know, whether it be protests, protests that turn into riots and looting. It's, you know, when it's 80 degrees at night and you don't have to, to bring along, um, you know, extra clothing and things like that, and you don't have the barriers of snow and ice to deal with. Um, again, I think just your awareness too of, you know, watch what's happening. We had, we had something develop in our town. It was, it was a protest. Um, it, it didn't turn into rioting or looting, but it did close down a, a major road through town. You know, so the next day people were like, well, I couldn't go through whatever. So I had to take like this way through whatever. And, but I'm, I, as you, I was kind of looking at a map and I'm like, really, there were only maybe two ways to get around that. Like if the protest would have moved a little further, then it's one way. And then it's a train track and a, a bridge. So like, yeah. And, and I didn't know about it. My wife's like, yeah, that was on in the newspaper that that was going to happen today at whatever time. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know. Could have. Let's go through the chat as we wrap things up. This has been phenomenal. Thank you uh, so much, Joe. Thanks for everybody. Sass, Red, Bullrush. John, Mountain House is still out of food. Damn. Yes. Damn. Um, Sass wrote, uh, can't carry a uh, baton in Connecticut, but I carry a gun. Go figure. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Um, Wow. Um, Bacon, stun gun. Yes, contact gun. I don't don't know. Um, And just kind of clearing out here. Um, Mickey DeBus wrote, uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia is like that pocket knives are legal, but guns are okay. Yeah, it's... Here's the thing about knives and, and, and batons. Understand your legal laws and don't ask a police officer their legal opinion. And I'm not trying to bash police officers here, but quite frankly, they get very little actual legal training. And they'll say a lot of things that sound legal that aren't. For example, if you ask a police officer in Michigan on average what length of knife I can carry, they're going to say, oh, you can't carry a knife with a blade greater than three inches. That's not what the law says. The law says I can't carry a knife with a blade greater than three inches with unlawful intent. Uh, is self-defense unlawful? It is not. So I can actually carry a knife of any length as long as I'm not using it to commit a crime. So when you ask them, they're going to tell you they can't carry a knife greater than three inches. That's not 100% true. Right. And it's their fault. Look it up yourself. Face validity, right? Don't take somebody else's word for it. Look it up yourself and understand it and know it. Um, another important one that uh, that I tell people to look up in your state, not because I want you to be a vigilante, but uh, because I want you to be able to defend yourself, is look up your state's uh, citizens arrest law. Because if somebody breaks into your home, not only can you defend yourself, you can hold them there until the police come and use whatever force is necessary. Okay. That actually protects you legally, right? Um, it's a lot easier to defend a case if the person you shot at and, and missed, right? Let's say they, they tripped and you handcuffed them, whatever you did, held them to the police come. It's easier to defend that case if somebody gets away and then they claim that the situation was different. Does that make right. sense? Right. So um, understand those laws um, because they can protect you too. So you say, understand those laws. So where would I go to? Like, who should I contact? Who should I look up? Because, yeah, I mean, an internet search is going to be pretty vague. Who do, is it like a lawyer? Who who would be a good person to give me that information? Website. What website? Your state's legislature. Okay. 
So like in Michigan, the Michigan legislature website has every law in the state listed. The reason why I point that out is not necessarily because I want to go out and conduct a citizen's arrest on anybody, but I want to know what my rights are if the police aren't going to come and help me, right? And somebody breaks into my house and assaults someone in my house and tries to get away. I can chase them. I can bust down a door at the neighbor's house if they run in there and drag them out if I have to. Um, if if you need the police to come in a situation like that, they're going to be there in about 30 minutes and the situation is going to be over. You need to know what your legal rights are uh, if someone assaults you in public because the citizen's arrest law would cover that, right? You might be able to only defend yourself when you have to just break it off. Or I might be able to overcome that resistance and hold them on the ground until the police get there. It's just probably safer for me than just defending myself and then getting up off of saying, we cool, bro, because he could get up and stab me. Right. Um, not saying go out there and try and arrest people, but I'm saying understand what your rights are and what the law allows you to do if necessary. Does that make so sense? So look it up on it. And so if I didn't know, like, what, so I didn't know, who, what would you recommend to me? Say, okay, Dave, you've looked, um, would you say, I like, um, I'm thinking maybe someone who is a weapons trainer, someone who's a, a lawyer. I mean, who would, who would be the next person you'd say, okay, yeah, go, go and check with this person to make sure your interpretation I, is I right. Wouldn't a lawyer, because they're going to tell you, don't even get go there. Because lawyers don't really want you to exercise your rights. They want to sue other people. <laughs> right. That's you right. Know I mean? um, uh, you could get it from your local prosecutor. Uh, a self-defense lawyer might not be a bad idea. But I would just search for it myself, read it. They're usually fairly self-explanatory. But on my state's legislature page, when you click the law, it also gives you all the cases that have been decided interpreting that law which is a really a good place to be. Yeah. So, so that's where I get that information. Um, and you know, one of the things you asked me what people should do right now, um, I'll, I'll say it, I'm a martial arts instructor, go get trained some sort of unarmed self-defense. Yeah. Uh, people say, Oh, what kind should I do? Anything. Cause right now you have nothing or right. anything. <laughs> nothing. Right. Go and train in something because number one, a gun can't always be your answer. And number two, someone can grab you. Uh, John says, right, your gun range probably has all those laws. Um, but um, train in something, anything at all. Yeah, I, I, that's that's incredible advice. After I listened to you share that, um, I think it was with, with Nick August the other night, I, I started to, I Googled my area, you know, self-defense instruction, whatever, and I found uh, actually close by. I mean, I go to walk to it. Um, Th that uh, offers, you know, one-to-one -one instruction and and really like just a few intro sessions for free and then depending upon what your needs are. But yeah. I'm like, yeah, it, I, it would benefit. Um, you're right, because what if somebody, yeah, just comes up behind you or, you know, I if I'm out biking and someone, you know, gets out of a car or just whatever, some of the family, there are all these, all these things. And, and I'll add to that. I mean, I've had Drew Bay on the show and, and I think, you know, Drew's, Drew's a fitness expert. And Drew will say, just stay fit also and think of bacon. I mean, bacon is, you know, works out like crazy and, and won these guys, but um, stay fit because you're, you're more likely to be able to fend, defend yourself, um, you know, run to safety. But if you, you know, if you do get hit, if you do get injured, you can recover better. And I'm like, you know, we forget about this. I mean, hitting the weights, I've, I've got a weight room kind of off of the, the back here. 
um, you know, doing that, being active. Um, people just, they don't do that. So they already come in at such a disadvantage into situations. But yeah, I, I love your idea. Not your idea, your your point on suggestion of learning some kind of, uh, you know, martial arts or self-defense. Because, yeah, I look at myself and I'm like, I need to equip myself with those skills, um, I uh, some some basic core skills. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love that. And it was funny, it, it, not funny, but it was interesting. I typed it in. I'm like, it was close by. Again, I could walk to where, where this was and I'm, I'm doing a little bit. And they did have descriptions on there. said, listen, you know, well, the first couple sessions, just tell us, you know, what, what you're looking for. We can be very basic in what we go, or, you know, we can scale you up to, to whatever you're interested in. Um, and I do have a copy of Beverly Hills Ninja. So I watched that a few times. You're good. Dad. <laughs> this, this rack was not built by ninjas. <laughs> watch, oh watch. I need to see a jet and you'll be fine. You'll be good. So, oh my goodness. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being a guest. This is this has been phenomenal. This will be a show that I will replay and take notes um, because just so much information, new information, things like that. Again, the personal body cam, like I got it. I got to have it. Things that we should have in a first aid kit, duct tape. Yeah, got to do that. Got to do that. And just the, the situational awareness, getting out of normalcy bias, just so much we can harvest from this. Thank you to... Um, you know, to, to Red, to Sass, to, to Bacon. Thanks for everybody for sharing this out. Uh, the Safety Doc Podcast, share it out. Uh, you know, got the YouTube channels, really robust. We got the blog posting, you know, too. Um, Release an audio. Again, eh, this is the book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. It's it's kind of weird because the, the title for the book was going to be Lessons of Lower Manhattan. Right up until the end, we changed it to School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, because it, it focuses so much on chaos theory. So it's not just a school safety book. So much beyond that for those of you who've got it. But um, hoping, uh, you know, things things cool off eventually. Michigan, we get that we get Lake Michigan kind of goes both ways. Since a little cool air over here to Wisconsin, a little cool air over to you will be, be good. So, uh, but Joe, thank you so much for being um, a guest on the Safety Doc podcast. Cool. I appreciated it. I uh, had a great time with I've always liked Joe and uh, it's been uh, it's been great. Thank you. Good. I appreciate that. And everybody listening out there, safetyphd.com, safetyphd.com. Um, all 142 episodes of the show are accessible from there, including a blog posts. So it's kind of neat. And it's one of these things called like a stacking skill set, right? If you just, if you watch some of the shows, um, you're going to come away saying, hey, like I learned this, I learned this. You're going to use language a little bit different. And after this show too, if you tell people, if you say, I observed, and then you you say, you know, whatever I observed, I observed this. I'll be like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, you're using the word I observed, the words I observed to describe what's happening instead of like I heard on the news or I think or whatever. There's so much more power in a, I observed and it gives you the power. And then other people look to you and they're like, hey, John Steele, you know, John Steele, he says I observed a lot and I admire that. Plus, you know, everything else about John Steele, but that I observed stuff, that's cool. All right, Joe, take care, buddy. All right, we'll see you. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.